For several decades, studies of healthcare quality in the United States have documented suboptimal quality in a range of areas, examples of inappropriate care, and unexplained geographic variation in care. Although quality improvement efforts have led to progress in some areas, wholesale changes have been lacking. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Donald Berwick, President Emeritus and Senior Fellow at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. As part of the journal series in honor of the 50th anniversary of the Institute of Medicine, now called the National Academy of Medicine, Dr. Berwick has co-authored a perspective article about the history of efforts to measure and improve healthcare quality in the United States. Dr. Berwick, prior to the 1980s, when interest in this area began to grow, what was known about the quality of the healthcare that was delivered in the United States? The history of studies of quality goes back actually to the turn of the 19th century. It was in the early 1900s that some really courageous people began looking, especially at the quality of surgical care, and they discovered a lot of variation and a lot of defects in care. But that information kind of remained closely held by the professional systems themselves that wasn't in the public's knowledge. Through the mid part of the century, there were further studies of variation in care which, again, never reached public attention. It really was the 1980s, especially the Harvard Medical Practice Study that kind of cracked it open and began to show us how many problems there were, and especially the courageous work of Dr. Jack Winberg, who was the first really deep student of variability in practice, and then soon thereafter, important studies about safety in care, injuries to patients that were occurring because of mistakes in care. So how is healthcare quality now defined and measured? What fits under the umbrella of quality assessment, quality improvement? I see it in two steps. The first was the benchmark set in 2001 by the then Institute of Medicine, now the National Academy of Medicine's very important report called Crossing the Quality Chasm. I served on the committee that wrote that report. And in that report, we outlined six dimensions of quality, which have remained a pretty good framework for measurement and improvement. The six dimensions are safety, not injuring patients in care effectiveness, adherence to science rather than unwarranted variation, patient-centeredness, which is sort of a shift of power to patients so care focuses on their needs, timeliness, which is avoiding unwanted delays, efficiency, which is avoiding waste, which is an element of quality, and equity, which probably should have been listed first. It's really racial and socioeconomic disparities in health. So that's six levels, safe, effective, patient-centered, timely, efficient, equitable care. You'll find that in the mission statements of many healthcare systems around the world today. Later on, in about 2005 or 2006, colleagues of mine at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, Tom Nolan and John Whittington, set out what's now called the triple aim, which said that all of that that I just said refers to the quality of care when you're in the care system. They said there are two other objectives. One is improving the health of populations, which, of course, happens through social determinants of health in the public health sector and also reducing per capita cost because healthcare we now know is extremely wasteful. We waste at least a third of the American healthcare expenditure on things that don't help anyone at all. So it's triple aim today, better care for individuals, better health for populations, and lower per capita cost represents another framework for the assessment and improvement of care. In your article, you describe roles that both government initiatives and non-governmental organizations have played in quality assessment and improvement. Have those efforts been synergistic or has one approach generally been more effective than the other? Well, that's a matter of opinion. I think generally synergistic, but governmental approaches have tended to focus more on metrics. I call it outside-in quality, where accountability and pay for performance and public measurement are the tools that government tends to use to focus attention on what needs to be done. 
The private sector, especially professional societies that are taking this seriously, have also engaged in educational systems, networks, quality improvement collaboratives, which activate and support healthcare systems to change their processes and improve care. At best, they work together, but they don't always. Sometimes the surveillance systems actually chill investments in real change because people get frightened and they may even hide the data instead of trying to actually improve things. There have been important government efforts, though, to support improvement. When I was the administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, for example, we launched a program called Partnership for Patients that was a vast, it was a $1 billion effort to improve patient safety in hospitals and to reduce unnecessary readmissions. And that program was quite successful for a period of time as it activated improvement work in healthcare organizations. So it's been two decades since crossing the quality chasm to Ares Human, another seminal IOM report. And you write that the results have been mixed. Where has there been progress and why is it, as you write, systemic improvement in quality of care has proven difficult to bring to scale? Well, it is a good news, bad news situation, I think. The good news is that awareness is there. As we said earlier, we now understand the patterns of a need for improvement of care much, much better than we did even 20 years ago. So there's a lot of knowledge. And we also have better theory. The reports from the National Academy of Medicine have emphasized the importance of what they call the learning healthcare system or the use of um, systems thinking and awareness of interdependency. We really know a lot, a ton about how to improve. And there are pockets of improvement. We have individual projects that have worked on healthcare infections, on pressure ulcers in patients confined to beds, on more patient-centered care, giving patients more control over their own care. I can, for almost every dimension of quality, we can name successes. The problem really is, well, there are a couple of problems. One is scale. We just haven't made the improvement of care a kind of consistent, effective process throughout the entire healthcare system. Why is an interesting question. I think it has to do in part with the buck doesn't stop anywhere. There's nobody, certainly in the United States, responsible for healthcare quality. We don't have an agency that oversees that or any particular form of national leadership for improvement. Second, the finance often controls, although reduction of waste is an element of quality, that's very important to understand. Higher quality and lower cost go together. That's what the triple aim says. Healthcare organizations tend to focus on revenue and margin. And when things get tough, their attention is diverted from the kind of internal operational changes that are needed to actually improve quality. I personally believe that quality improvement is the best route to a sustainable, affordable healthcare system. But that, quote, business case is not widely embraced in healthcare leadership even today. I hope and think that will change. And there are counterexamples, but I think we have kind of a problem of leadership focus that still has not brought quality to the forefront. And in fact, in your article, you mentioned the reluctance of political leaders to fully endorse new payment models, to endorse the use of knowledge of what treatments work best as a national basis for coverage policies. How would greater acceptance of those kinds of reforms open the door to new opportunities to improve quality? At a national level, both in the public and private sector, it would help to establish goals. Back in the day when the President's Advisory Commission on Consumer Protection and Quality issued its report in the late 1990s. It was set out that we should aim for, say, a 50% reduction in safety problems in American healthcare. But that aim was never embraced as a matter of policy, never resourced, never linked to ongoing metrics. And without aims, it's really hard to improve. So I think that that kind of investment in setting goals would really help. We don't have a goal-setting mechanism. I think also there's sort of a double edge to measurement. And when the system over relies on measurement, 
Today, there are thousands of metrics that are used, for example, applied to hospitals by government and private payers. You can't do that. You can't have these thousands and thousands of measures which erode the time of clinicians. They just, they're actually distracting rather than helpful. And so some form of focus would be really important. From my belief system, where I work from, I actually don't think measurement holds the answer. I think the real approach is correctly outlined in the National Academy of Medicine's call for a learning healthcare system, which means supporting organizations to continually learn about how to do better. Who's doing best? How can I bring that into my system? And to have especially professional leadership for that so that physicians and nurses and others take the helm and set their own intentions toward the continuous improvement of care, which means changing the way they do their work over time. I'd much rather see that be done from inside the healthcare system led by professionals than by auditors and measurers who think that if you just hold people's feet to the fire enough, that will do the trick. I also think that the call we've had now for 20 years or more for a national leadership body of some form would be very, very helpful, setting goals and supporting systems to change. So finally, in that regard, you say in your article that you support that call for a national independent, apolitical federal oversight agency for healthcare quality assessment and improvement. What are the barriers to bringing such a thing into existence? Well, first, I wouldn't so much emphasize oversight as transparency and support. I think that we don't need more pressure on the system. We need more leadership of the system. And there's a difference as to what that, the tonality of that agency would be. The political problems with that are enormous. The healthcare system tries to do good work, but hospitals and clinicians don't really want another form of surveillance right now. They feel like they're working very hard and doing their best. And so far, their experience may not have been a real support from the, such an apparatus. I think we could change that, especially if this were clinically led as much as politically led. There are also resource implications because healthcare systems always feel pressed on money and their time and efforts are spent lobbying for payment. They don't particularly invest right now in the leadership of improvement. Right now, they're too worried about revenue and their income. We're also constrained by our payment system, the fee-for-service payment system, which sort of afflicts our country. It means that hospitals and doctors and others, in order to pay the bills, they need to keep the machines on. They need to keep working and working and working. And to get organized to improve takes some investment. You have to be able to get together and say, organize teams and insert metrics and learn from others. And I personally believe a more consolidated payment system, one that isn't hooked on fee-for-service, but rather involves global payments and population-based payments will be more supportive of that kind of change. And yet we've seen that stall in this country. We talk a lot about value-based payment, which is sort of a way to think about that. But the progress has been very, very slow. Thank you, Dr. Berwick.